Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast. On a Monday, we're talking USC Trojan football. Fall camp is upon us. We're counting down to the first game of the 2019 season. That's August 31st against Fresno State. Lots of stuff to talk about with the coach, Harvey Hyde. He's been covering and talking about the Trojans for decades now. So you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Instagram at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. If you have any questions or comments for us, please send them in. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd rather call us or text us, the number for that is 424-254-9141. We do have the coach on the line. What's going on, coach? How are you? Well, Ryan, it's uh, going well, as uh, I was able to be at the first two days of practice uh, this past weekend. A lot of excitement, a lot of uh, media there, a lot of coverage and so on, and everybody's real anxious to take a look at the 2019 edition of the USC Trojan football program. People are excited, yeah. It's a different feel, I guess, Uh, coming off of that 5-7 and season. There's everyone's just kind of nose to the grindstone, looking forward, trying to correct some of the issues that were uh, plaguing the team last year. So we're going to talk about that, what you've observed. There have been two practices, Friday and Saturday. They're going to start back up uh, this afternoon. Today is Monday. We're recording this Monday morning. Um, They'll start up this afternoon and have practices all week uh, with uh, Friday and Sunday off. So we're going to get to all of that. Um, But Coach, before we jump into some football, because this is kind of a big deal, we're going to have to uh, talk a little breaking news on the basketball side of things. It's a little crazy. Uh, USC, you you know, the football recruiting isn't going all that swimmingly uh, coming off a five and seven season. USC's basketball team didn't have a winning record either, but uh, another high profile player has just committed to USC on Monday morning. So 2020. Uh, five-star center, Evan Mobley uh, from Rancho Christian uh, in California. So his father uh, is actually, um, uh, his father, Eric, is an assistant coach that Andy Enfield hired, but his brother, Isaiah, was a five-star prospect that's in the system. He was in the 2019 class. So two five-star brothers, pretty good hire, I guess, if you're going to bring in Eric Mobley, coach, uh, and you bring he brings in his two five-star kids, but he is the number one consensus number one prospect for the class of 2020. Six foot eleven, two hundred pound center, as I said, and uh, will you know if he ends up signing, um, you know, ending up at USC, he will be the highest rated prospect ever signed uh, by USC basketball. I believe there's been eight five stars. OJ Mayo was the previous, uh, you know, the highest rated player signed, but you know, not unexpected because. You know, his dad, Eric, is an assistant coach on the team. But, uh, you know, a little needed momentum, I guess, after the huge 2019 class that was number five in the country, Coach, bringing in uh, Evan Mobley, the number one player, pretty big deal for USC basketball. 
I think it's fabulous. I really do. I think it's great to have uh, two great programs. I, all programs, you want to be great, but to have football and basketball be great programs at the same time, that's, I think that's what you're looking for. One thing, too, when you get these great players and people expect success. So I think coaches got to have be successful. Otherwise, it's not the players, it's the coaches. So what you have to do is bring that program along, put them in the right position. The same thing we talk about all the time in football, run the right uh, offense and defense and type of game to fit your personnel. And with that type of personnel now with the USC Trojan basketball program, then everybody's expecting, what do you call it? Wins. Yeah, you got to win. Um this this is a basketball team, coach. I know we don't talk a lot of hoops here, but this is a big deal. That seems to win the off season a lot, you know. There and but then during the season, you know, whatever reason things kind of go awry. But th- there's nine new players on this team. Uh, they've had some unofficial workouts. We talked to some people that have seen them. It looks completely uh, different. Our shotgun Spratling will be out there, going to check out some of these workouts and stuff. But yeah, it's one of those things, coach, where. You recruit well, like you do all the, the right things in the off season, but the season has to go better. So whatever happens, injuries, they, Andy Edfield just seems to need to, whatever adversity comes up, you have to kind of get through it and push through because the fans really need to see some, you know, some sort of winning, not, uh, you know, a, a sub 500 record again. No, I agree with you. And there's such a thing as having too many great players too, but then you don't have everybody happy. No one wants to sit on the bench. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian, who I was very close with when I coached football, he was a basketball coach, used to say, give me eight players and then give me all other players to get me great grade points. He says, uh, I want eight people happy and the other players, I want them to be happy to be a part of our program and run the other team's offense and defense. But I want eight players who can really play. When you get too many players that think they can really play or can play, now you have morale problems. Now you have people transferring. So you got such thing as having too many great players too. So you know you got to have something that balances itself, right? Yeah, that, I think we see the same sort of thing in football. And uh, Gerard Martinez would always describe it. Not you know, get your thoughts on this before we get into fall camp stuff. When USC was recruiting at the very highest level, and obviously they're not really doing that right now, but when they were. It wasn't just about bringing as many five stars as you possibly can. And Pete Carroll was doing that at a, you know, you know, even Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, but those were kind of the bricks, but you needed some of the mortar guys too, somewhere around there. So if there was a, a you know, a three star guy from a local school that's grew up wanting to go to USC his whole life, you need kind of guys like that to sort of fill in the class. If everybody comes in as the highest rated guy in the world, it's going to be tough and uh, you can almost have too much of that. You really do, and that's basically what I was saying. And then again, you've got to have a coaching staff that surrounds you that are former head coaches and former great coaches that have the experience to make these people reach their potential and find out exactly what they do well and what uh, you need to cover for and how they have to get better in certain areas. So not only can you be a great recruiter, you've got to be a great coach. Now, Jerry Tarkany and I use him because he had, what, 10 or 12 straight 35 winning seasons. He used to teach defense before offense. He said, we're going to learn to play defense before we ever play offense, because that's all you guys want to do is play offense. So you've got to be able to put a philosophy across to these kids where they know what you're trying to do, and you're doing what's best for them, 
and you've got to have a great coaching staff that has been there and knows exactly what's going on so you can get these players to reach their potential and go to staff meetings and understand what each player's needs are because they've been there, they've been head coaches, and he had so many head coaches on his staff that have been other places that it helped him so much. So you need experience as well as great recruiters. Yeah, I think uh, that all kind of wraps in together. Um, we'll we'll probably have to talk some recruiting a little bit later on. Things haven't been going all that swimmingly for USC, like I said, on the recruiting front. A couple uh, local or at least regional five star talent uh, going elsewhere or eliminating USC. So we'll we'll get Gerard Martinez on and kind of break things down. We definitely need to do that. We have a bunch of questions that have piled up and uh, not not the greatest news, but I mean I, that sort of thing happens, Coach. I mean, real quick, I guess before we get into the fall camp stuff, if you had a, a bad season at UNLV or if there was something going on and it just, the the momentum wasn't going to be on your side and it was almost like you had to wait for the season to come to kind of prove that you guys were still a, a powerful program and you could get guys in there. Has something like that happened to you? Because it seems like it's where USC is right now. Until they go out and win a bunch of games and show everyone, not just telling everyone, but show everyone that they've turned things around. It's going to be really tough, I think, for USC to bring in a, a lot of highly ranked uh, players at this point. And I, I guess the big problem is difference from when, you know, back when you were recruiting this early signing period, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of time to set it all up. So USC is sort of behind the eight ball right now. They need to win a bunch of games. But if they do, there's there's not even that much time. You know, if they can prove on the field that they're winning, there's not a whole lot of time to kind of reverse the trend and get some of those guys that maybe committed elsewhere or eliminated USC to, to come back and join USC. No, you're exactly right with this early signing period. Uh, it really does make a difference. I wasn't for it. Okay. I wasn't for it at all, but uh, I don't know if the coaches were for it or not, because most of the recruiting is done uh, at the early signing period. A lot of schools do their complete 25 or whatever number they have and uh, they're over, they're done. I, I'm not for that because I don't think it really gives you an opportunity to evaluate the players as well as uh, them seeing how you do as a uh, a football program, especially like USC as in this current situation. Uh, but uh, again, uh, you know what happens when you when you're not winning? Other people come in and use that as a negative against you in recruiting, and other kids that are top level players want to go where they win. They want to play in the playoffs. They want to get the programs that sell out their stadiums. They want to go where it's important because all people have facilities now. But as I say every week when we do this show, USC is still accepted in the country as a sleeping giant, and it is a giant in college football. And uh, it should be. It's always been there, and it is the class of the Pac-12. And I'm sorry to say that to all the people out there that listen that are from other universities. But if the right person and the right thing happens at USC, like Pete Carroll and John McKay and John Robinson and the past coaches have done, it can return immediately. But it's very important, too, that it turns this year for Coach Clay Helton. So those are the things we can talk about, and those are the things that the future, the future is now, as George Allen used to say. It's not tomorrow. The future is now. And I think that's what the situation is at USC. The future is now. I like that. Um well, this, the future for this team, we've seen a lot of positives uh, in the offseason. It's still a really talented team. I mean, whatever recruiting problems you're having right now, you still have a, a five-star quarterback, Bryce Young, committed that they're going to really try hard to, 
to keep around and not have them sneak out to Alabama or anything like that. Uh, but current talent-wise, this is a team that's still probably the most talented team in the Pac-12. I don't think talent is going to be a problem. Recruiting could be a problem for you know next year or the year after. But for right now, I don't look at this team and go, well, yeah, they're, they're deficient in this area or that area. They're, it's a pretty talented roster. So everyone was looking at the first couple of days of fall camp to just see like, okay, have all these changes, everything that the, the coaching staff has talked about, uh, the new look of the players with Aaron Osmus, the strength and conditioning coach, have all these things kind of taken effect and, and will it have a tangible effect on this USC football team once the games actually start? That's what people really care about. So I want to get, I want to talk about some of your philosophies about fall camp, but first coach, Maybe just physically, because I know you look at players differently than a lot of people do. There was all the talk we said about Aaron Osmus. You got to see the players out there without pads the first couple of days. Any kind of differences or anything you noticed as far as just like the physical makeup of these players? Well, let me, let me tell you, the first couple of days of camp, I look at it as a head football coach. Uh, I don't speak much. I went Saturday, and I really didn't talk to anybody because I was evaluating talent. I think that's what a head football coach does when he walks around. This gives you an opportunity of seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, and comparing your new talent with the talent you had as far as part of your roster. Very important that your players play on the field, and there are some players I feel that are tremendous players that are on the field that are new players and. I'm anxious to see exactly where they play them and if they'll get on the field. And uh, you look at the talent in different areas, and you try to describe and look in your mind, are we properly coaching them? Are we properly, our practice schedule, is it, is it, uh, is it organized properly uh, as far as the order that we're doing things? Uh, are my coaches demanding the discipline and the things that I've talked about with the team and Aaron has done as far as in the off season? And uh, I looked at a lot of that, and I don't know if I jump into this now or not, but I see a couple of things that are favorable. First of all, I don't see players goofing around. When they stand in line, and uh, who works in front of Samosa is Burns, a defensive secondary coach, and I think he's doing a great job of coaching. I think he has their attention. I like the young talent that's out there. and They're paying attention. Nobody's talking when he's talking. And when somebody doesn't do something right, he lets them know it. Or if someone's in the way of the drill, he tells them to get the hell out of the drill. Move over there. Think a little bit. And I think that's important because he has command of his group. And his group is paying attention and he's coaching every little minute type of thing that you need to do. And at the same time that I'm observing him, I'm observing the talent and the knowledge of a football player on is he green does he understand what he's talking about? Does he need the red shirt? I'm looking at all the talent, the speed, the, the techniques that are being taught and how these kids grasp them, that uh, discussion that he's doing and trying to explain to them. So I watch that a lot, and I also watch the organization of the practice, and I watch also the other positions. Now, it's very difficult for me to evaluate the defensive line and the offensive line because they're way away from us, so hard to to see them, and, and it's almost impossible. So I can't really watch the teaching that's going on there. But uh, as far as the linebackers and as far as the secondary and receivers, quarterback, running backs, I can comment on them, Ryan. 
Well, okay, the yeah, so we can talk about it with those, but just in general, the physical makeup of the players. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, just looking at them. Well, looking at the players, yeah, I do think they're physical. I do think they're in better shape. I like the way they're dressing. Uh, they're wearing, uh, as you, I don't know if you guys look at stuff like this, but I do. They're all wearing the white socks like they're supposed to. They're all wearing black shoes like they're supposed to, not pink socks or other things that are distractive or more me than team. I look at all of that, and I look at the physical type of development each one of them have, and they look like they're bigger, they're stronger, and I think some of them have lost weight that's necessary. So I think physically they've had a good off season as far as in the strength and conditioning program. I, I go along with that. And, and the number one thing that's important, Ryan, is the kids believe it. Even if they aren't, the kids believe it because they're starting to say, we got better. And I think that's what they need to know. It's not what I think. It's what the kids think. The kids believe they're bigger and stronger and faster and they're in better shape and whatever it is. That's the important thing. It's not what we think. It's what the kids think. And the kids think that they have accomplished what they needed to do in the offseason and now take it onto the football field. So that's what's really important. And I see a lot of different type of, well, if you want to get into players now, talent that's out there that is some excellent talent. And I think it can be utilized in a very good way once they determine who should be on the field and not on the field and if they evaluate the same way I do. The, uh, as far as evaluation goes with that, um, we're looking at the practices. You have to practice. Everyone's practicing out there. Everyone goes out and does it. I feel like sometimes you felt like it, watching USC, they were sort of going through the motions a little bit. I don't know if you got that feeling again and maybe comment on what, you know, when you're looking at a team, what are you specifically trying to accomplish um, when you're out there and, and what you, what do you want to see this USC team try to accomplish while they're out there? Well, the first thing <clears throat> is what we're teaching is to do the, what things the proper way and to understand what you're supposed to do, because you can't execute what you're supposed to do unless you understand it. So mentally before I'd run a player mentally, before I put a coverage in or mentally before I do anything is you got to understand why you're doing a certain play and what you're trying to accomplish from it. So that's the number one thing. That's why I used to believe in not doing a lot of chalk talks. That's where you sit in the room and draw it on the draw on the board or the screen. I did a lot of walkthroughs where they could see it visually on why they're doing a certain thing and for the reasons for it. So then when you get to that drill or get to that uh, technique that you're teaching, you've already walked through it on the field, and they understand exactly what you're talking about. Now, when you draw it up and then go out, you have to teach it again. I don't like teaching things two or three times. I want to teach it once and then go through it live and go through it at a speed where you can get it on tape and then coach off the tape. Because that's why you tape everything so you can coach off of it. And you can show what a kid did right or did wrong. So I think it's very important that this part of the practices, especially at the early stages now, if you notice all they do is a lot of technique work, technique work, technique work. Yeah, they do get together for one-on-one, -on -one, and that's where everybody's been getting all turned on, watching the matchups and so on, one-on-one -on -one with the passing game, and then they did a little 11-on-11 uh, uh, 11 on, 11 on Saturday, and you know, really, when you look at that, you're not accomplishing much out of that, because 
if the defense isn't ahead of the offense, then I'm going to tell you what, uh, you do not have a very good defense, okay? Because at this time of the stage, the defense is always ahead of the offense, always. And I hear everybody talking about this and that and so on, but if your offense is moving the football against the defense after two practices, then you better look at your defense and say, we're not very good. Because offense is all timing and understanding and execution, while defense is just, let's get after them and make sure you do the right technique and go to the right gap and do what you're supposed to do. So right now, I'm not that impressed either way on the team part of it. I'm more impressed on the matchups and what we're seeing individually. You mentioned the uh, the film. I want a little uh, kind of anecdote if you're watching practice. They used to have these scissor lifts where uh, like student workers would be up there filming practice from, and they would lower and uh, raise um, backpacks with, uh, you know, batteries or tapes for the, the film that they could start breaking down early. So they would film different portions of practice and kind of uh, bring up, you know, bring them up and down. And, but there, you know, there's certainly a, a danger having uh, a worker up there on those scissor lifts. It can get windy and stuff at times. They now have these new uh, cameras that they've put in there where a, a, a worker still sitting down below on the ground in a little kind of like tented area with like monitors and stuff. And way high above are these little cameras and domes. So you can, they can film and, and remotely be controlled and, and film from that higher perspective that you want to see for your practice film, your practice tape. Uh, but now you don't have the danger of one of the, you know, one of the workers being up there that high. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I haven't really seen that before. I've heard about him before. I didn't know USC was interested in, in doing that, but I think, in, you know, in the efforts to safely conduct practice, uh, this is a, a good step. I think it's an excellent, I've never seen it before. And uh, uh, somebody there pointed it to me. I, I knew they were videoing it and doing the whole practice, but someone pointed that out. It looks like a cell phone uh, tower. Yeah. But it's uh, it's up there, and uh, it's working, but they kept lowering it, uh, putting it down, lowering out. The kid always runs off the field and uh, takes it in so they have it all developed, ready to go. They're, in the, it, they're already in the computer by the coaches uh, when the coaches get off of the field and then distributed to the players they all have a code to get in and watch it and i think it's great it just makes it simpler all it does is eliminate another job for somebody that used to have to go up there and do that and you're right about the safety you know they had that problem down at notre dame a couple of years ago and you know that is a high area to climb up on and to do that so i think it's great i think it's great and it, that's what's happening in football everything's more modernized and computerized and everything else. Yeah. It's uh, and, and you know, it, it's funny when you talk to the guys that are doing all this and they used to have to, you know, put the cards in and out. Now I think it's more of an automated system that they have there and they still have a worker down there on the ground controlling the cameras, but they're, you know, by the time practice is over, they've got a lot of that film already processed and like ready to be watched and everything. It's a really, it's interesting how they have to do all that. All the workers behind the scenes kind of getting everything uh, ready, but this is just kind of another step uh, to make things, you know, more efficient. And you know, they look pretty cool. These little towers, and like you said, cell phone towers up there. But uh, you don't have to have a guy up there lowering down a backpack and uh, blowing in the wind when they're trying to film uh, practice and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. did you have a thought on that, coach? Or? 
No, I know. I agree with you 100% because, you know, even when you come back from a road game or when you have a home game, by the time you get back in your office, you already have the film and the game in your computer and you can take it home with you. And you take it home and you can work with it at home. If you're on a plane flying back from an away game on the plane, each coach can break down the film before you even arrive home. They're all ready. Everything's ready to go. Yeah. So all of this we used to have to do on Sunday, but now it's all done. Yeah, it's crazy how much, uh, you know, that's all those support staff and all those people that are working behind the scenes uh, that are working that out. All right, we're going to take a real quick break and come back and uh, talk more about USC Fall Camp. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach, we kind of talked about some of the different philosophies and everything at, you know, for what you're seeing out there at USC Fall Camp. Is it being run efficiently? How's the discipline levels? Things like that. But some of the you know more specific stuff, I mean, maybe we can start on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe Friday was a, a better offensive day than Saturday. You already talked about you want to see the defenses uh, far ahead of the offense at this stage of the game uh, anyway, but... First couple of days, what did you think overall of what you saw on the offensive side? Well, on the offensive side, um, I, I see uh, a lot of technique work, and uh, I'd like to see it taken a little bit farther as far as you see them throw the fader out every day at the start of practice. That's one thing they obviously are going to work on and go deep when they can when you have large receivers like they do. Uh, I'd like to see them make the quarterback move a little bit when that happens as far as putting some hands up in front of him where he has to move right or move left in case somebody breaks through. So you're not going to just be standing back there throwing the ball so easily as they do. And they all throw in the fade route pretty good. But you've got to be able to throw the fade route with somebody in your face or, or different things because people are going to come after you. And, and the reason you're throwing the fade route is because they're probably a lot is because they're playing man and you want to get the deep route on them and they're coming after you. So, you want to go deep on them. So, you know, I'd like to see the quarterbacks have to move around a little bit more during their drill period as far as throwing the football. Most of the throwing of the football has been in the pocket, and I understand that because that's the basic offense. But, again, I think you have to learn to throw on the move or throw on the rush or having somebody run by you, even run by you, where you can stay focused on your receivers. And uh, I don't see that part of it going on, but that's something that – with Coach Clay Helton walking around, he's got to observe those things and see if that's what he wants. But as far as I'm concerned, I think that that's something I would add to any type of drill I do in throwing the football to your receivers is having your quarterbacks move a little bit. And uh, they're not always going to be able to stand there perfectly and throw the football to people. And that's why most of the passes are completed, which is good. But, I mean, again, you've got to be able to – it's harder to, it, to you work on the worst thing that can happen to you the most. 
All right? You try to eliminate where something breaks down and you still can make a play, and I like to see those type of things happening, okay? Where the play doesn't work, he has to come out of the pocket or do something, and then the, the receiver adjusts to what's going on, and they do adjust. They come back to the ball. If the guy's playing off, they come back to the ball, and he throws a stop route or whatever. I like them working on that, and I, and I think they're doing that, but I like to see them move a little bit on the route more as far as doing that. As far as uh, the conditioning portion, uh, early in the in the practice, they do a uh, pursuit drill on defense, and they do a cover drill, throw the ball on offense, and this is something that I would do at the end of practice. I wouldn't do it in the middle part of practice or the beginning of practice because what I want to do is condition at the end of practice or have somebody run hard to the play or the sideline at the end of practice when you're tired. If you do it early in the practice, you tire your teams out, and then they can't get a good practice in, but they're sucking it up a little bit. So I think this is something you do when it's the fourth quarter when you need to really be conditioned after practicing, and then you have the offense back-to-back going up and down the field, two teams at a time, turning around, coming back the other way, running plays, passing plays, running to the line of scrimmage, running to cover, cover the ball, spread out on passes, and, and run to the football and get reset. And on the defensive side, you need a rabbit. And what I mean by that, you see the pursuit drill they do. Right and left, you got to have a rabbit that they can aim at, a, a player that runs somewhere down the field that they have an aiming point of what pursuit angle they could take so they have they know exactly where they should be as far as following a player. If you're the back guy and everybody else spreading out, then running back and doing it again because that is a conditioning drill of a point of, pursuit angle and i think that's something you can do at the end of practice instead of running or doing things like that which they don't do that's the way to end practice in something that uh, conditioning is something but also you're learning something at the same time so you're really not thinking about uh, conditioning you're thinking about your pursuit angles and you're also thinking about moving the football so those are just little things i see as far as the offensive side and uh, I mean, we could go through every single thing, but these are the things as a head football coach, you're walking around and evaluating on if it's good or if it's bad and how can we improve it. I think the kicking game in the middle of practice is far too long. I mean, that's me. It's like watching paint dry. I noticed that also, I think the players get bored after a period of time when you have a 25-minute period on one thing or two things. Uh, back-to-back, uh, Saturday they did the punt, and again they did the kickoff return. I think that's too much now. At least they had the defensive linemen and offensive linemen and quarterbacks who are not involved in special teams down doing technique drills and so on. But I think the the kicking game is is too long of a part of your practice when you take 25, 30 minutes. It becomes boring and you lose your intensity as far as during the practice. I think that. And uh, I know Clay Helton was part of it as far as watching. Uh, he was looking for things to do, and he had him break the huddle on the punt team and run to the line of scrimmage and do the different things and saw that. But I think that's just a little bit too much kicking game in the middle of practice. Uh, defensively, Coach, yeah, I agree with you there, by the way. But um, def- defensively, saw Elijah Griffin with uh, three interceptions for the for the first two practices. Um, I think the defense played better. They disrupted the the quarterback's rhythm a little bit more on Saturday. But any big observations from watching the defensive side of the ball? Well, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they got some players. It's getting the right players on the field in the right position. I really like 
you know, people were worried about the secondary. I think you got talent in the secondary. I think Steele's a hell of a player if he gets eligible, and I think he's going to be eligible. Otherwise, they wouldn't give him give him these many turn, uh, turns as far as being dressed and going out there. Number eight, I like him. I like Stewart at this time. Griffin's had a pretty good uh, uh, fall camp. Uh, I like the safeties, Williams. I like uh, uh, Funga, who's out there, and the other kid, Paula Mayo, whatever his name is. Those are two pretty good safeties. I mean, they'll hit your butt. I think uh, Funga uh, could be the best defensive player on the team. Now, don't get me wrong. There are other great players out there. I'd love to see Solomon come back because I think that both those two Samoan linebackers, man, they'd be a stud group. I'm telling you, they'd hit you. They'd get after you. Defensive line, I can't evaluate, really. They haven't done anything. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but they haven't done anything where we can see it and get after anybody as far as uh, they seem to be moving around. I hope they're being coached properly. I know Clay Helton made the comment on Saturday that that uh, he likes the simplified defense that uh, – Clancy Pendergrass has been doing. I, I really couldn't see what's simple or not simple or whatever. They just look good because the defense is always ahead of the offense, like I said earlier in this podcast. So uh, it's hard for me to determine that right now. You can't run the football when you're doing non-pads and so on. The defense guys just kicked the offensive lineman's butt. But uh, I'm anxious to see what happens with the offensive line and how they develop, and it's impossible for me to give you any type of uh, opinion on that or the defensive line because I haven't seen them do anything. So we'll have to wait on that. As far as the linebackers, the linebackers should be good. I think they got great talent there. It's just putting them on the field in the right place and having them do the right things. And uh, I think they have great receivers. They, they, I'm going to tell you, they have about five kids that are freshmen. Ryan, that came in, they're going to play in the NFL, okay? I'll tell you this right now. I, I don't know if you're standing there. When I was, I, I told on Friday, one guy just looked over at him. I don't know who I was standing to, but next to it was you or me or whatever. And I said, Devin Williams, he's the best receiver on the field. And that's the young uh, sophomore receiver out of Adelaide Valley. I'm telling you, here's a guy 6'4". That's not only tall, but rangy, but it's got great speed. He can separate. You can't cover him one-on-one. It's almost impossible, and you see it every single day. Now, how are they going to use him? Is a backup? They're going to play him? But I'll tell you one thing. He's going to play in the NFL, okay? And he's going to play there. Now, you've got Pittman, and you've got Tyler, and you've got Brown, and you've got all these other guys. But I'll tell you, Devin Williams is a football player. He's going to play in the NFL. I'm going to tell you that right now. He's going to play in the NFL. Mark my word. I'm telling you now. Find a way to get him on the field. And this McLean kid, you know, he's another 6'4 kid, number 13 out there from San Juan Capistrano, he can play as a receiver. He can play in Drake London, number 15, 6'5", 205. He can run, too. Now, when you got guys that are 6'5", and 6'4", that can separate, now you got a football player. Normally, these guys that are 6'4", 6'5", and not taking anything away from the, the receivers they have, but they have a difficult time separating from the defensive backs. And this is the difference of playing in the NFL, because in the NFL you've got great defensive corners that lock onto you. If you can't run, you're in trouble. You just try to throw it up high where it's a mismatch. And I think that's one thing that USC does well with Pittman and Tyler. They throw it up high, but these other guys have got some speed. 
And I think those guys, all three of those guys, but right now, the guy that really gets to me is Devon Williams. I mean, this guy is going to be a great player. And I don't have to talk to you about Jackson, number 99. If if I have to talk to you about Jackson, 99, then you don't know football. <laughs> but this, <laughs> this kid, if he's not on the field playing, you're killing yourself. I don't care what he could be in kindergarten, okay? And if he's in kindergarten, he'd be on my football team. This kid can play. He's going to play in the NFL. He's a great player. He gives you all the effort you need to do. So that's another one. I'm I'm just telling you on this class and some of these young players, Drake Jackson, he he can play. I mean, I don't even have to tell you that. I mean, and this little John Jackson's son. I mean, what a surprise he's been, another freshman. Kid goes so hard and practices so hard that everybody always says I'm standing next to, who's 87? Now, I know the media knows who 87 is, but a lot of people that haven't been to practice doesn't know who 87 is. And that's uh, John Jackson. This this receiver came in, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one that said, oh, what's this all about? Uh, blue shirt. He, he's got to be a friend of... Uh, uh, or they took him because of his dad and all this. Hey, man, I made a mistake on that, and I apologize to everybody for even making that type of of comment. And Chris Steele, as a freshman, hey, this kid's going to be a player. I'm telling you, as long as he gets eligible this year, he'll play. I'm not going to say he's going to start, but he's got a damn good start. I mean, if I'm coaching the secondary, he may be coaching or starting because he can run. And you got to be able to run to play cornerback. You can't be worried about getting beat deep. Oh, I'm going to get beat deep. I got to know where he is. I got to put my hands on the receiver. No. So they got some players this year that not all of them, I'm going to talk about all of them, but the ones I've been able to evaluate so far that I've seen that are football players. Yeah. Uh, John Jackson ended up, he caught a long touchdown pass on Friday, ended up uh, tweaking his hamstring, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be. Uh, too serious there. You also mentioned um, Drake London. We had a question from Don, Coach. He said, Drake London is a more talented version of Pittman. What do you think? Of who? He says, so Don's saying, Drake London is a more talented version of Michael Pittman. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I don't know how he's... Are you talking about London? Drake London, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well... He is, but he's faster. I think he's faster. I don't know. He's a, he's a real good athlete. He's a basketball player and everything else, so you know he has great hands. I like Pittman because he's a leader. Uh, and uh, I think he's he's got to be on the field because of that. On the offensive side of the football, I would think he's probably the number one leader, senior. And, uh, you know, as a football coach, uh, I don't let my players pick the captains. I pick them, Okay all this voting thing is like a popularity contest. So, you know, players running around, we're going to vote him in and vote him in. Hey, I'm going to pick the captains. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, uh, he is, I like him. I just talked about him and, uh, I think he's going to be a great athlete for USC. I, and I think if he continues to progress along with the other two, I mentioned, as far as receivers, they're going to play in the NFL. Yeah. Now they so a lot of the players you mentioned uh now John Jackson uh he was he was a four-star player uh but like you said he was a legacy guy and uh, I thought he's been really impressive from what I've seen out there 
But, you know, Drake London, highly rated guy, uh, you know, Jackson, Drake Jack. I mean, all th- those guys will come in, um, you know, highly rated players. Haven't seen a lot of that in the recruiting class. Don also wants to know. So he's a little concerned going forward. He said, will an eight and four USC team be able to recruit any four and five star players? Don says eight and four will hurt the program. Uh, what do you think about that coach? Well, an eight and four season for most, most universities in the country, you'd be jumping up and down and partying in the streets. Okay. Uh, with the schedule USC has this year, uh, it's going to be difficult. New coaching staff, uh, new offense, uh, different things that are happening, and who knows yet. I haven't bought in on the offense. I've told you that. I'm waiting for it to scrimmage because there's a lot of things I'm thinking about the offense, and it's a Washington State type of offense, and I want to see it under full fire and so on because I know how I defense it. So, uh, eight and four, if they can go eight and four this year, man, I'd take it right now before I play the game because it's a very young team. Whether you think it's uh, an old team, it isn't. When you look at it, a lot of young players, uh, new coaching staff. I know it's not a record that people would, people would probably be satisfied with a 10 and two record and winning the PAC 12 and going to the Rose bowl. And I would be too, but with the schedule and the road games and, and you know, you've got, Utah on a Friday, you've got Washington, Washington, you've got Oregon, who's picked to win the North in some polls. You got to go to Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame's going to be one hell of a football team. I really do. They got a lot of players returning, uh, what, nine starters on offense. I mean, uh, you know, and you got them back there. That's going to be a tough game for the Trojans. Not that they didn't play them well last year, and, and in that game, anybody can beat anybody, but I wouldn't mark it up as a win right now. So, you know, yeah, eight and four, you know, who knows? I, I'd assume that the Trojans can beat USC this year, or UCLA, excuse me. I'd assume they could beat them. Uh, last year was an embarrassing performance, and I'm just flat telling you, if you're a football player or a parent, it was embarrassing. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Yeah, I think in that scenario, Don, eight and four just – in general for me is probably a worst case sort of scenario um, because it's not going to help on the recruiting side. And it's sort of just putting your team in, in limbo, you know, like does it, did the, because coach Hyde said that the schedule's tough. You might be, you know, to go from five and seven to eight and four could be really a significant improvement or it could be sort of like, yeah, it's still underachieved. It's I think how you get to that eight and four can be very, uh, important as well. But on the recruiting side, specifically with his question, I don't think that's going to move the needle enough that the guys that are, you know, four and five star that USC could still be in if they had turned the season around completely, if that's going to be some kind of overwhelming factor to to get them to come back on board. So I, I think on the recruiting side, you have to do a little bit better than eight and four if you want to significantly improve uh, the recruiting rankings. Now, you know, last year, so many guys did not end up at USC. You could say USC got lucky or whatever, but to get Brew McCoy and Chris Steele back, uh, that's that's positive, you know. Uh, we don't know about their eligibility yet. But this year, it seems like it's the Bryce Young show, and then everything else after that has just been sort of a disappointment. So um, I'm curious to see how it works. But, Donnie, I, I'm, I'm not guessing recruiting is going to improve a whole lot with an 8-4 and four season. Like a 10-win season, I think you might see a, a big jump. 8-4, and four, probably not to me. Well, you know, 
Yeah, USC is still USC, and uh, I think that some people will be satisfied and some people won't. Won't. Uh, like I said, if you're a Trojan and you remember the good old days, no, uh, not going to happen. Yeah, you've got to you've got to win a lot of games and go to a major bowl game. Okay, that's the only thing that makes people happy at USC, and I believe that's where the program should be. Don't get me wrong. But eight and four may might be somewhat realistic as far as uh, with their schedule of what uh, they could be fortunate in being. I mean, I like to be realistic. I don't like to be, you know, be falsifying my thoughts. And I'm not going down them right now and telling you who they're going to beat. And Stanford's going to be a big game too. But uh, recruiting is something that uh, players have got to believe in. They got to believe in you as a staff, as a person. They want to want to play for you. They love the program and what it offers them. You've got to make your players uh, that come in uh, uh, develop and, and forecast who they're supposed to be, and that hadn't happened over the last several years. Okay. Yeah. Great players have come there and just hasn't gotten any better. And I hate to use it like that. They just haven't gotten any better, and that's go due to coaching. They haven't so. Players are afraid to go there because of that, more or less what USC is all about. When you don't have the uh, great seasons, you also don't have the great draft choices, and you don't see some of these great five stars and four stars really improving. And I think that's what recruits look at, is, is did, they, did those kids get better, and, and did they win games, and all of the above. And I think that's why so many great players currently right now in California and other parts of the country are not going to USC. They're currently right now, they're going to Oregon and Washington and leaving the state, uh, you know, back at, you know, where those other programs, because players are developing and going on and playing in the NFL and so on. And, and that's what players look for today. So I think that's what players look at is not only the university, but what happened to the players who went to that university, you know, academic degrees are important but also their future as far as the NFL is too. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what, uh, what goes on with this Trojan football team going forward. Two practices down. We'll be back this week and should be interesting. Pads will come on for the first time. So we'll be out there checking all that stuff out. Coach, thanks again for coming on and sharing your thoughts and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Ryan, again, I want to thank you. And I want to remind everybody too, that uh, as we move along, uh, I do a show on Saturday night on uh, KDON at 7.20 a.m. at 9 p.m. And also on Sunday mornings, I'll be doing one following uh, Trojan football at 10 a.m. Uh, called Trojan Brunch. And that'll be on KLA. That's AM 830. Uh, if you remember it, we used to have it on ESPN. And Ryan, you know that you've always been a part of all my shows, and I appreciate it very much. And Next Thursday, Ryan, uh, I'm going to be asking you the questions. Yes. When you're on the show on AM 1400, AM 1400, that's KSHB Radio in Las Vegas, but you can listen to Ryan on KSHB.com and then hit Ryan. So, Ryan, I'll be reversing it on Thursday night again. That's at 7.05 p.m. from the Salabella Pizzeria in Pasadena. Yeah, it should be fun. No, uh, you're not going to be there. Telephone. We're going to do it by telephone. I'm going to be on the telephone. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I'll be the telephone. Yeah, buddy. Mode, but, uh, right. So right. it'll be good. That's this coming Thursday, right? It's uh, Yeah. The, this, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, this coming Thursday. You're right. exactly right. Okay. So that's the uh, the 8th. So you can check that out there. And you can, uh, HarveyHyde.com, you can find the shows and everything, too, if you 
missed it for whatever reason. But coach, thanks again. And everyone else out there, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. Uh, we will have a, a Keely, Dan, and myself show coming up probably on Tuesday. We're working on the Tunnel Vision live show because we've got practice all week. So it's going to be harder to do it during the week, but we'll probably do that on Sunday. But thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.